Let's take our Bibles and go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start here and uh, go to a couple other passages here. But 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to start. Uh, You know, as you sit in your seat right now, um, I'm going to ask you guys a a silly question, but it's a very valid question. It's something that we need to think about. You think about this, right? Um, And it's a very sobering question. And I want you to think about it. Don't give an answer in your own mind even straight away. Just ponder it for a bit. As you sit in your seat right now, is God pleased with your life or is he not pleased with your life? Only one of the two can be true. Is God pleased with you or is he displeased with you? Now, surely, I would say at least for most of us, we want to please him. That would be what we would aspire to do. We may think we are pleasing him, but whether you're actually pleasing him or not is another matter, perhaps. Um, it's what really matters. In order for you to please God, the passage that we've turned to tells us we must be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy chapter 2, let's begin to read in verse number 1. The Bible says this, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if any man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must first be partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Let's go ahead and just take a moment and ask the Lord to bless our time together tonight. Lord, as we look into your word, Lord, I ask you that you would just um, meet our needs. Lord, just show us exactly what we need to see. And Lord, as we prayed earlier, I pray that you would just give us um, a hunger to learn and to grow and to be spoken to by you. And Lord, we're going to trust you to do just that during this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Second Timothy probably is the last epistle, the last letter that Paul wrote before he died. In fact, if you read the book of Second Timothy, it looks like, it appears anyways, that Paul was cognizant of the fact that he probably was going to be dying soon. Um, remember, he uses phrases like, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. And um, he's kind of intimating to Timothy that this is it. This is the last letter you're going to get from me, and, and that's, that's the end of it. Uh, Timothy was what Paul called his son in the faith. Um, whether or not Paul is the one who actually led Timothy to Christ, gave him the gospel, and saw him saved is unclear. But one thing that is certain, that Paul was kind of like Timothy's spiritual mentor. Um, He was the one who uh, really discipled, we could say, uh, Timothy. Um, Timothy, we know, had a godly mother and a godly grandmother. doesn't seem like his father was saved. So he grew up in a home where his dad probably uh, was involved in some of the pagan practices of the pagan religion in that region in that day. And his mother was a believer, a devout one at that. And um, he was taught the scriptures by his mother from the time he was young. And this is the guy that Paul is writing to. 
And here in the last letter that he's writing to this fella, he says in chapter 2, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what he's going to do is he's going to explain to him how Timothy needs to be living his Christian life. Uh, he tells, he really gives him three illustrations here that we have read. The first one is that of the soldier. The second one, uh, if you look in verse number 5, is that of the Olympic athlete. Uh, if any man strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except you strive lawfully. Um, that's where the Olympics started, by the way, was in Greece in the ancient world during the, during the, uh, um, the, uh, the Greek Empire. And, and even when the Romans took over, it was still going on. And Timothy was familiar with uh, the Olympics of that day. Um, and then verse number 6 gives the illustration of the farmer. The husbandman or the farmer that laboreth must first be partaker of the fruits. Um, what we want to focus on tonight is really what Paul's trying to get across in this idea of being a soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't give Timothy the option as to whether or not he is going to enlist in the Lord's army. The reality is because Timothy is a believer, and the same could be said for me and for you, um, as a believer, you are in the Lord's army. The question is, what kind of soldier are you? Um, <laughs> I uh, remember I got something in the post as a 17-year-old young man in the States, and it was from the Selective Service. And I saw the crest of the United States Army on there, and I was scared. Um, I was never one of these guys that was enamored by the military. I did not want to join uh, because I knew what it was like. That's one thing that always uh, I wondered about um, as there as I was a teenager in the in the U.S. Um, a lot of the young people growing up in Christian homes, you know, they hated the rules that their parents had. And I remember one guy making a statement like this, I'm just so sick of people telling me what to do, I'm just going to go off and join the army. Now, pardon the term, but, but how unsmart can you get? You know, because in the army, you've got somebody called a drill sergeant, and 24-7 this guy's telling you what to do, okay? Um, and uh, at any rate, it was just something that apparently every, every um, fella has to do in the States, and it didn't mean you were going to get drafted or anything. It just means that they knew where you lived. But you know what? They don't really know where I live right now, so I'm safe. Okay, I'm over here. They can't get me. Um, but at any rate, the Army is not something that I really ever wanted to join. But I did have a couple friends who saw um, uh, service in the Army. Not just that, but wartime uh, conflict. It was something that they did not like. It was not something that um, they even cared to talk about too much. It was grueling. And your life's on the line every minute of every day. Um, but you know, when it comes to the Lord's army, you're not in a battle with people or with an enemy country. You know, the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But we do wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a very real enemy against whom you are fighting, or you're supposed to be fighting anyway. By the way, if you're in an army, just use your imagination, if you're in an army and there's a war going on and there's a battle going on and you decide that you're not going to fight, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get killed. Okay, you're definitely going to be rendered ineffective, captured, something like that. Okay, and 
Paul, under divine inspiration, is giving Timothy an illustration of a soldier. All right? Um, Now, he explains how you must be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Um, The reason that he gives is this, that if you're not a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you you don't please God. Um, Look what he says here in verse number 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You know, the Lord is the one who chose you to be a soldier. Now the question is, what kind of soldier are you? Now we need to understand a couple things. We We need to realize that we're in a conflict raging between two kingdoms. Now, there's a whole lot more going on in the world than what you see with your eyes or what you hear in the news. There's a whole lot more going on. Um, Colossians 1.13 says this, "...who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son." Now, it's using terms here I want to focus on, right? Um, he says that the Lord, when you got saved, here's what he did. He translated you or, or changed you from the power or the authority of darkness. He transformed you from that the, into the kingdom of his dear Son. So you've got two kingdoms, two forces, two armies, if you will, that are fighting against each other. One of them is the power of darkness. The other one is the kingdom of God's Son the Lord Jesus Christ. And before you got saved, you were under the power, you were under the influence of the kingdom of darkness, weren't you? Uh, Some of you may have been saved at a young age, so maybe you can't realize and uh, think of all the ins and outs of that. But some of you who are saved maybe in uh, your late teen years, early adulthood or later adulthood, you can remember what life was like in the kingdom of the power of darkness. And it wasn't a bright picture. Hopelessness, life of sin, and on and on the list goes. And God translated you from that kingdom to this one over here. Um, notice this verse as well later on in this book in which, uh, in which we are, 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul says this, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul didn't say I've holidayed the good holiday. He said I fought a good fight. You know what? Um, Fights, like real fights, they're not fun, okay? Um, They are grueling. Um, Paul said we are in a fight. These two kingdoms are fighting one against another. And that verse that we've already quoted in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. And those are all terms that talk about Satan and his hosts of darkness, okay? Okay? Now, understand this, that this war is largely over the souls of men. Let me ask you a question. Does Satan know that he cannot, with brute force, overpower God? He tried it before, and it didn't work. The Bible says, um, I saw Satan, um, I can't remember the exact wording, but he was thrown out of heaven like a lightning bolt. God kicked him out. Because he tried to be like God or be in the place of God. And God wouldn't have any of it. God is very jealous over his position as as he rightfully is. He is the creator. Satan was just a creature. And now he leads the band of fallen angels that followed him, um, the Bible tells us. So why in the world would Satan try to continue this fight 
that he knows he's going to lose. I'll tell you why. The battlefield is the world, and this battle is primarily over the souls of men. Get it. Um, Satan knows scripture, doesn't he? Remember, he even quoted it to Christ when he went and tempted him in Matthew chapter 4. Do you think maybe that Satan might be familiar of the bits of scripture in Revelation that speak in explicit detail of Satan's fall and how he's going to end up spending eternity suffering in the lake of fire? Oh yeah, he's familiar with that. Well, why would Satan continue to fight against God? Well, I'll tell you why. He knows where he's going. And he can't get at God directly, so he goes after something that is near to God's heart, his own creation. And he wants as many people to suffer in hell, where he's going to suffer as well. He wants to drag as many people as he possibly can with him. And that is kind of his sick, twisted way of getting at God. Now, you're a soldier in the Lord's army. Do you realize that God has a plan for you in the battle over the souls of men? You know, um, that verse that we quoted early in Colossians 1.13 where it says that who, the Lord, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Do you see that, that when God, through, some, through someone, through a messenger of the gospel, he used them to, to speak the gospel to your heart, And God used that to translate you from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Do you see what happened there? In your life, God won the day. And now as a soldier enlisted in the Lord's army, God wants to use you to do the very same thing. Just how God used one of his servants to bring you to Christ, he wants to use you to bring other people to Christ, to see them translated from this hell-bound kingdom of darkness over here into the kingdom of his dear son. That's what he wants to use you to do. And in this passage, the apostle Paul is kind of giving a last plea to Timothy, listen, don't give up in this battle. You need to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is a matter of life and death. This is what it's really about. You want a cause to fight for? This is the cause to fight for. If you want your life to mean uh, something, if you want your life to count for something, get involved in this, Timothy. You need to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Well, you know what? I want to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I really do. That doesn't mean that I'm perfect, and that doesn't mean that I haven't failed in the past, but you know what? As a child of God, deep down in my heart, I really want to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, how am I going to get there? It's not just going to automatically happen. How am I going to do that? Well, Paul tells us how to in this, um, in this passage. You know, Satan really is a relentless enemy. Um, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says this, in whom the God of this world, or Satan, hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. I want you to think about this for a minute. Think in your mind of somebody that you love, or at least someone you care about, that you know is not a believer right now. Maybe you've given them the gospel before. Maybe you've tried to reason with them. Now, let me ask you a question. Any thinking person, if they genuinely saw that they were a sinner, 
And they genuinely saw that there was nothing they could do to get to heaven and to be right with God on the, in their own strength. And if they genuinely saw Christ for who he was, the one who could save them from their sin, and they genuinely saw that all they had to do was to make a decision of their will to transfer their dependence, trusting what he did on the cross to save them from their sin, wouldn't any thinking person, if they, genuinely, if, if they genuinely saw that, don't you think they would turn to Christ? They sure would. But do you know what the problem is? They don't see it, do they? You know why? Because there's somebody out there who has done a really good job at literally blinding their mind. And no, no matter how much you argue with them, no matter how much scripture you show them, trying in your own strength to convince them of the gospel, it's not going to work. You know why? Because it's a spiritual issue. They have been blinded. You need the Holy Spirit to do something you can't do and to move the blinders away. Do you remember when that happened to you? When the blinders were removed? And all of a sudden it hits you like a ton of bricks. I'm a sinner. I'm on my way to hell. And there's nothing I can do about it, but Christ did something about it, and you made a decision to trust him to save you. You remember that? You know, that's what, that's what everybody needs to do, but you've got to realize Satan is the one responsible for blinding their minds. Now, as a soldier in the Lord's army, how are you going to be used by God to take the blinders off? How are you going to be used by God to see them saved? How are you going to be used by God to see his kingdom furthered? To see less and less people in the kingdom of darkness and to see more and more people in the kingdom of God's Son and the kingdom of light? How are you going to see that happen? Well... This passage tells us, let's have a look at it here, okay? Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's start reading in verse number 3. There's really two primary things you need to make sure are in order for you to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Notice the first thing that he says here, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Um, He tells them to endure hardness. You know, he doesn't say just miserably go through it. Don't be crushed by hardness. He says, endure it. You know, a soldier endures hardness. Um, And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. We're going to spend most of our time on the second aspect that Paul mentions here. But notice this, God does tell us we need to endure hardness. Now, are there not hard circumstances of life? Yeah, all the time. Uh, Things that we might consider um, minor points of hardness, um, like your car breaking down, okay? Stuff that is not life and death. Then there's things that are a little more major, a lot more major. Uh, the hard trials of life, and it, it could be different for anybody. Uh, it could be a head of a household, and he has lost his job, and he's wondering where, how, where in the world he's going to get the finances to um, meet his family's needs. You know what? On a, on a responsible man who feels his responsibility, that's a lot of pressure. That's rough. It could be the loss of a loved one. That is hard. There's nothing easy about that. But you know what? To be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, he says, endure hardness. Now, how in the world am I going to endure hardness? Because I don't know about you. Well, I kind of do know about you, right? But hardness is something that you cannot stomach in your own strength for an extended period of time. Hardness tends to crush people. 
tends to drive them to addiction. No matter what that is, whether it be substance, whether it be even video games, that's kind of a guy's addiction, all right? Or whether it be just vegging in front of the telly to just escape, that's not enduring hardness, that's escaping from hardness. God tells you, listen, you've got to endure hardness. Um, the first way you endure hardness, Christ enables you for hardness. You know, it takes strength in order to endure any difficulty. And before he tells us to endure hardness, he's actually already pointed us to the way of enduring hardness, the source of strength. Look what he says in verse number one. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. You know what you need in order to endure hardness? You need God's grace. You know what grace is? And you could probably quote it for me better than I could because you've, you've heard this kind of preaching before. Grace is God's strength. That enables you to endure what you and do what you could not normally do or endure. That is what God's grace is. God's grace is His strength. It is what He gives you. You never earned it, but He gives it to you. Okay? Somebody put it this way using the acrostic of, of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Well, sure. You know, the only way God could give you grace is through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, how do you access that? You know, the reality is there's a whole lot of believers in the world today that are being crushed with just the normal pressures of life. It's driven many of them to lives of finding other ways of coping, usually through sin or venting their frustration on their, on their wives and children, on their families, or on other people. And there's a lot of believers out there, I'll be honest with you, some of the most bitter people I have met have been believers. Just mad at the world mad at God for letting these kind of things into their life. Well, you know what? The problem is they didn't endure hardness as a good soldier. And they're ineffective. They're wrecked. You know why? Because they did not access God's grace. Paul says, listen, you need to be strong, not in your own strength. Listen, you will never be strong in your own strength. I will never be strong in my own strength. I am weak and I always will be that way. There is no changing that. But my God is strong. He lives inside of me. He lives inside of you if you're a believer. Okay? He's strong and he always will be. And his strength is there to enable you to endure hardness and to do what he has called you to do. You know, a lot of believers live like a pauper spiritually. You know, you've probably heard an illustration similar to this before. Can you imagine if, if uh, in the bank you had, I don't know, and this illustration kind of breaks down. Imagine you had access to an infinite amount of money, an absolutely infinite amount of money. There was really no end to it. Uh, but you were going around wondering where the next meal was going to come from, and uh, you didn't know how you were going to pay your mortgage or pay your rent or whatever. And uh, you were really living like a poor, homeless person. Now, here's the question. Do you need to live that way if that's the case? You don't need to live that way. It would be very foolish if you did live that way, and all you had to do was really go to the bank in faith, so to speak. You can't actually see the stacks of money there in the bank. But you go to the bank in faith, you, you write yourself a check or a withdrawal slip or whatever the case is, and you access that money by faith. Okay? Now, how do you access God's grace? Listen, do you understand that when you got saved, God credited Christ's righteousness and, and his grace to your account? You know, the Bible says this. 
But he that delivered up his own son, or spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him, or with the son that he gave you, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Is there any part of your life, any hardship that would come to your life, is there anything there that God would withhold the strength from you for you to endure? No, it's all there. You are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Listen, everything that God has given Christ, you are his joint heir, the Bible says. You have every, you know, you know the strength that Christ accessed when he was on this earth physically? The strength to endure, um, the spiritual pressure that was on him of people's needs, and, and on and on the list goes. Do you realize that you are a co-heir of that grace? It's not because you've earned it. If you're saved, it is your birthright. You don't need to come to God asking for his grace. You need to go to God in faith claiming what he has already given you. Now, Christ enables you uh, for hardness. And he doesn't expect you to endure hardness in your own strength. In fact, without him we can do nothing. You need to understand how you access God's grace. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, um, that we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Do you realize as a believer, you stand in, you, you literally spiritually stand in uh, an infinite amount of grace to enable you, to strengthen you, to do what God has called you to do, and to go through what God has called you to go through. That is what you stand in. Now, that doesn't mean you always access it. The Bible says you have access by faith or by trust, by dependence into this grace wherein we stand. You know, when a hardship comes up in your life and your first response is to try to work it out in your mind how you can humanly cope with it, you're on the wrong track. The response of faith says, Lord, this is rough. I don't like it. But Lord, you've allowed this into my life. And I am trusting you to use this in my life for good. And I am trusting you to give me the strength to endure it. And folks, that is faith. And it's God's obligation to give you his grace. And he will. Um, So uh, we'll just go ahead and, and leave that there. Not only does Christ enable you for hardness, but Christ empathizes with your hardness. Now this is really helpful to me. You got to understand, we kind of have this, and I did too, have this uh, thought in your mind, this picture of God as this distant God that is, is able to help me here on this earth, but he's way over there, and I'm way down here. And sometimes, without even realizing it, that's the idea of God we have in our mind. Well, that's not true. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 2.18, For that in he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is also able to succor or help them that are tempted. You know, the Lord Jesus knows what it is like to face hardness, doesn't he? In fact, he faced it himself. His heart is touched when he sees us experiencing hardness. And during his earthly ministry, God in the flesh willingly placed himself in a place of dependence upon God's power. And he knows by experience that God's strength is sufficient to endure hardness. So the one strengthening me knows by experience exactly what I need in order to successfully endure hardness. Not only can he strengthen me for it, he, he empathizes with it. You know what? I like that. <laughs> Not only can he enable me for hardness, but he knows what it's like to be there too. 
It's not like I have a distant God. No, no, no. I, I have a God that actually took on himself human flesh like I have and like you have, and he went through it. He knows what it's like. In fact, he experienced more hardness than you and I will ever face. And he proved in living flesh that, his, that, that God's strength was enough to meet the need. Um, you know, you also need to recognize, kind of as we mentioned this morning, the purpose of hardness. You know, God does not just allow things in your life just to do it. You know, God has a purpose for everything that happens in your life. Everything. Every circumstance that has happened in your life, no matter how bitter it might seem, God allowed it for a reason. There might be some of you out here, God allowed very bitter circumstances in your life because he knew that that's what it would take to draw you to himself in salvation for you to see your need. Um, but you know, once you get saved, it's just begun. The hardness that comes into your life just as a result of living in a fractured creation, a sin-cursed world, just the hardness that is out there because of that, God is able to take those bad things, even the sinful choices of other people, and he's able to work them in your life for good. Uh, Like we mentioned this morning, Romans 8, 28, and we know, not hope, but we know this. All things do work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did for no, he did also predestinate or predetermined to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you know that it's like God is building a structure out of your life and he will do it as long as you cooperate. And you know what his blueprint is? The image of Christ. Was Christ useful in God's army? Oh, you better believe it. You better believe it. In fact, he changed the course of humanity. And that is, God wants to use you. He is, Christ is the blueprint that God is using. He wants to conform you, mold you into the image of his son, and he uses hardness to do that. So if a believer is going to please God, he must be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In order to be a good soldier, you must, number one, endure hardness. But not only that, you must also, number two, Evade hindrance. You need to evade hindrance or um, avoid hindrance. It says this in verse number four, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. You know, a soldier has a specific purpose in mind and to lose focus on that cause could result in tremendous loss to himself and those around him. Thus, anything that would hinder him from his focus is, uh, is his enemy. And must be avoided. Um, You know, Satan knows the model that God has chosen to reach this world. Um, Satan knows that God does not use angels to give people the gospel. Uh, That's not his chosen method. Who does God use as a mouthpiece to proclaim the gospel to people? Who does God use? Yeah, believers. Okay? So, so believers are the mouthpiece of deity, really. 
pleading with people and explaining the gospel to people, um, really proclaiming the gospel to a lost world, you and I as believers are the vehicle for that. So if Satan, the one who wants to blind the minds of them that believe not, if he wants to keep them blinded, who do you think he's going to go after? There's no sense in going after God. Who do you think he's going to go after? He's going to go after the mouthpiece. That's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to do everything he can to keep you either silent or he's going to try to keep you an ineffective soldier in the Lord's army. You are the ones he's going to go after. And he has been going after and will continue to go after. That's why you need to be a good soldier. Listen, it is one thing um, if you are, say, enlisted in, in some army and you're never really on active duty, and you're in the reserves, and you never see conflict. That is one thing. But you know what? They put you on the battlefield, and there are enemies firing at you and trying to destroy you. You're going to be, a little, you're going to be acting a little differently, aren't you? You better believe it. You're not going to be kicking back, reading the newspaper. You're going to be trying to stay alive and going after the enemy. Do you realize that's exactly where you are? Satan is going after you. Folks, you've got to understand this. You've got to wake up. If, if you're not cognizant of the fact that Satan is going after you, you know what? He's probably done a really good job at lulling you to sleep. If you don't even see or hear the battle anymore, mark it down. You are an ineffective soldier. You are a sleeping soldier. Satan is walking all over you, and you might not even recognize it. If you are not cognizant of the battle you are in, if you don't realize what's going on, he's got you. And Satan might not be able to just come out and kill you, but you know what? He's going to try to put you to sleep spiritually. And he has a whole lot of ways of doing that. Especially in our culture in which we live, we live in the rich Western culture. And I know that we're in a recession and all that kind of stuff, but do you realize that we are still in the, um, we're still richer than 93% of the rest of the world? So you think you're poor, you're really not. Okay? Uh, We're in the upper seventh percentile. Um, On a scale of 1 to 100, we're somewhere between 94 and 100. That's where we're at as far as riches are concerned. In our rich culture, Satan has done such a good job at, here it is, getting you entangled in the affairs of this life. What's he talking about here? He says this, no man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life. Um, you know, I might have given this illustration before, but in the American War for Independence, there's, uh, it really was an unequal war. In other words, uh, the, the British Army on paper was a whole lot more powerful than the ragtag group of hoodlums that were over in the United States, you know, in the colonies over there. And uh, the, the British actually, even to ensure that they won, at least they were hoping to, they enlisted a bunch of um, German troops, mercenary soldiers, to fight on their side as well. Okay? Um, now, of course, you know, you know how it worked. I mean, the United States is there today. They're independent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? But uh, one of the turning points of the war was on Christmas Eve, uh, in the year uh, 
1776, um, some... 1,200 German troops hired by the British were enjoying their Christmas festivities in Trenton, New Jersey. It's right on the banks of the Delaware River there. And uh, they just laid down their arms and, as their culture was to do, just drank themselves inebriated on Christmas Eve. Okay? Uh, Now, George Washington and his group of ragtag soldiers knew that. They knew that these enemy soldiers were going to be off their guard. And so what they did is they crossed the Delaware River. And um, they were doing a sneak attack on the unsuspecting Germans. And due to their previous occupa- their occupation with the previous night's festivities, the German troops were decis- decisively defeated. They were just run out of town. And you know why? They weren't being good soldiers. Okay? And do you know that Satan can do the same thing with you? What he wants to do is he wants to get you so entangled in the affairs of this life, he wants to get you off duty. Because when you're off duty, he can destroy you. Do you know what? Very seldom, in fact, I've never heard of a case where Satan has been able to destroy an on-duty Christian. Christians don't fall when they're being good soldiers. Christians fall when they are off duty. Never should be off duty. Okay? Um, so what is it that hinders a believer from being a good soldier? We're just going to deal with two things. Number one, sin hinders a soldier. It besets him. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Sin besets, literally thwarts us in our duty as believers. Here's a question for you. Who is the one who is uh, the inventor of sin. Satan. He's the one who really committed the first sin. He tempted Adam and Eve to sin. And ever since then, he's been using the same method to tempt people to sin. Sin is the invention of Satan. Now, if you've got a soldier in the Lord's army who has sin in his life, Do you realize what's actually going on? He has allowed himself to become entangled in or ensnared in the activity of the enemy. And a soldier that is involved in the activity of the enemy is not going to be an effective soldier. Folks get that. Now listen, you think about that next time uh, you are tempted to get on the internet and look at trash. You think about that next time you are tempted to go and use your life like you want to use it. Uh, you, you think about that next time you are tempted to blow your stack and lose your temper at your family. Folks, and, and you know what? Think about that next time you're tempted to get involved in that addicting habit again. No soldier that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Do you remember back in the Old Testament in uh, Joshua chapter 7? In chapter 6, the Israelites had just defeated the city of Jericho. Do you remember that? The walls came a-tumbling down. You remember that? Okay. Um, And the Lord gave them a great victory. And they were pumped, man. They were excited about it. 
And then the very next chapter, they go to a smaller city, the city of Ai, and they go up against that city, which was really just a small little outpost of a, of a town, but had walls around it, you know, and they needed to go conquer it. And so they went to do that, and what happened? They were defeated, and 30-some men were killed. This is a big deal. Now you've got 30-some families in Israel who are without a, a husband, without a dad. Imagine the heartache that was going on then. Why? I'll tell you why. In chapter 7, the Lord reveals that there was sin in the camp. The children of Israel through Achan had been, invo- had been involved in taking the accursed thing. God said not to do. You know what? If you're suffering defeat in your Christian life, and you're an ineffective soldier, I wonder, is it because there is sin in your life? Listen, if you're involved in what God has condemned, whether it be a big thing or a little thing, it doesn't matter. Get it. You're going to be an ineffective soldier. No soldier that is wrapped up or has har- is harboring an invention of Satan in his life is going to be effective. Um, so sin hinders a soldier, it besets him. Uh, although sin does hinder a soldier, that's not primarily what our text is talking about. It's talking about uh, really what we could call secular interests. It says, no man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life. That word entangleth is passive. It has this idea. No man that warreth, no, no Christian that's going to be a good soldier, is going to allow himself to get entangled in the affairs of this life. It's not, it's not saying, um, now you shouldn't do this either, but it's not primarily talking about going out and trying to entangle yourself in the affairs of this life. What he's saying is this, don't allow yourself to get entangled in the affairs of this life. It is a tendency for it to happen. The world is designed to entangle you. And God's command here is, don't let it happen. You know what that means? That means I need to constantly be on guard. I need to be watching it. Because I, as a human being, and you do too, have a tendency to get entangled in the affairs of this life. Now, what exactly is it talking about? Um, The word affairs has the idea of uh, transaction. It's a word from which we get pragmatic. It, It also has the idea of the pursuits of this life. You know, I, I, I can't help but to some, and to some degree be involved in the pursuits of life. I mean, there's some pursuits of life that are legitimate. Uh, for instance, I, I am a husband, I'm a dad, I've got three kids. Is it legitimate to pursue providing for my family? Uh, yeah. In fact, not only is it legitimate, it's mandatory. But is it something that some guys can get entangled in? Well, that's all you think about. You know, in the States, they say pursuing the almighty dollar or the euro, whatever, okay? You can get entangled in that. Um, you know, it, it is wanting to, say, say, buy a house or make some investments or whatever, are those bad things? No. In fact, you know what? Those are, those are things that are, 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 are wise and you can be a good steward of your money. But is it something you can possibly get entangled in? Sure, definitely is. And the list could go on and on. Um, 
In other words, no man that warreth allows himself to be entangled with the pursuits that pertain to this present life. Now, Paul does not explicitly say that these affairs are intrinsically wrong, but entanglement in them is. Here's the deal. A soldier has to have has his end in mind the same end as his captain, right? What is the end in mind of your captain and my captain? The furtherance of his kingdom, the salvation of souls, the glory of God. That's something you need to get entangled in. Because that's what he is caught up with, right? That is his cause. And get it, if you or I as believers get entangled in or caught up in anything other than that, we are in the wrong. And we're not good soldiers. You know what? This sounds ridiculous, but what if, uh, what if uh, soldiers who are on active duty and they're supposed to be watching um, where they're going and they have, they've been given their orders to, to take this town or whatever it is, okay? And, and so in they go, and as they go, they see there's, a pretty, there's, there's some nice shops in there. And not only that, they're having some pretty good deals. So, you know, they um, sling their M16 over their shoulder, and they walk into the shop, and they start um, getting involved in this and that. And they go in, and they open up a bank account, and they um, are starting to make some investments. Question, are they getting entangled? Are any of those things intrinsically wrong? No, but they're getting entangled, and that's wrong. Are they effective in the army? Not at all. You know what? That's where a lot of us are today. You know, it's so easy in the cut and thrust of life to be all entangled in one thing or another. Okay? Um, If you're thinking about your life, and what's good for you instead of how you can be a good soldier for him. Mark it down. What you think about is where your affections are. That is, that is what drives you. And you're being entangled in the affairs of this life. They might not be sinful things, but they're not the main thing. You know, as it's been said before, keep the main thing the main thing. If I'm going to be a good soldier, I need to be caught up with, and my driving, my driving passion needs to be the driving passion of my captain. And if that's not the case with you, folks, you're not a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangled himself in the affairs of this life. You know, um, in 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul said this, All things are lawful unto me. But all things are not expedient or convenient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Um, You know, is there anything wrong with having a television set in your house? No. Nothing intrinsically wrong with that. But is it wrong to be brought under the power of it to where you can't control it? That's wrong. Okay, um, is it wrong to be involved in sports? Not at all. In fact, I love sports. I played sports all through primary school, secondary school. I don't know if what I did in college would technically be considered sports, okay, but we tried, okay? Um, but at any rate, I love sports. Is there anything wrong with them? No. In fact, Paul says that bodily exercise does profit little. So it is profitable to an extent, a little bit. It's not like it's unprofitable. But you know, can you get caught up with it? Can you get entangled in it? Yeah. You know, if you're more interested in Premier League than you are about 
what God's interested in, you're not a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Anything wrong with Premier League? No. Anything wrong with um, Six Nations? No. You know, getting caught up with it is wrong. And folks, we need to watch it. And Paul said this, all things are lawful to me. Okay? Anything that's not sin technically is lawful for me, but not everything is going to help me in my duty as a soldier. All things are lawful to me, Paul says, but I will not allow myself to be brought under the power of any. And if I am finding myself that I am being brought under the power of it, I'm going to cut it out. You know, there might be some things in your life you just need to cut out because you're being brought under the power of it. Um, you know, uh, the, the U.S. 23rd Army was known as the Ghost Army in World War II in the European theater, right? Um, now, here's what happened. I, I was staying at this place. I was preaching at a certain church, and I was staying in the uh, prophet's chamber there. It's a little place that they have for the preacher to stay in. And they had a little library there, like a big bookshelf, and I noticed uh, the titles on one of the books said, The Ghost Army. I thought, well, that's interesting. What's that about? You know, it's a weird thing to be in a, in a preacher's quarters or whatever. Okay, so I went over there and I picked it out. It was actually a history book. And it was a documentary, a written documentary on the, on the, on the uh, 23rd Army during World War II. And these guys were known as the Ghost Army. These guys never really fought. They were tricksters. Here's what they did. They carried around um, inflatable life-size tanks, inflatable like rubber transport vehicles, um, you know, generators that they would plug their air compressors into. They had a state-of-the-art at the time sound system that would play um, uh, sound effects of tanks rolling through a field, gunfire, soldiers yelling, all sorts of things. They even had a, an air division unit that would drop uh, dummy paratroopers. And that's what these guys were. This was the 23rd Army. And here's what they would do. Uh, they would set up shop, say, on a hill or wherever, wherever they wanted the Germans to be, okay? Uh, wherever, they, wherever the battle was not going to be, the real battle, wherever it was not going to be, the 23rd would go in, and they would set up all their tanks. And so the German lookouts would look through their binoculars, and they would see this big army that was just a few guys and a bunch of dummies and inflatable tanks, okay? And uh, what do you think the German soldiers would do? They would move into position to fight this imaginary ghost army. And the real army would come in, hit the Germans from behind, and it was a decisive turning point in the European theater and taking France back for the Allies. Fascinating! Do you know what those Satan likes to do that a whole lot? He likes to get your attention wherever the battle isn't. That's what he likes to do. You know, so many Christians get distracted with this thing or with this issue or this issue. You know what the main issue is with God? It's saving his creation from hell and the glory of God. That is God's main issue. And you know what? That needs to be your main issue. It needs to be my main issue. Um, later on in this very letter, Paul mentions a man who uh, stopped being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, verse 10, he mentions a fellow by the name of Demas. Now, interestingly, Demas was mentioned in a previous epistle as a, as a helper of Paul, a guy who was being a good soldier. But there came a time when Demas stopped being a good soldier in the Lord's army. And he's viewed all the way until now, even in Pilgrim's Progress, he is uh, 
he is a character and he's a bad guy. And here's what happened. It says this in verse 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now, it doesn't say that Demas got involved in gross sin. That Demas went off and all of a sudden he went from being a good soldier of Christ to a worshiper in some pagan temple. It doesn't say that. It said, here's what, here's what happened. He just got an affection for this present world. The, the secular interests that were at hand, maybe things that weren't even necessarily wrong, but he thought, you know what? Instead of pursuing God's agenda, I want to enjoy my time here on earth. And Paul said, you know what? He's forsaken me. He loves this present world. Now, how would you like to go through life and, and maybe if you were living back then, how would you like to be known in the Bible as a Demas? How would you like that? I wouldn't like that. But you know what? I wonder if Paul was alive today and, and maybe Scripture was being written, and you know, if... If, if that was the case, it's not, but use your imagination. If it was, I wonder what Paul would say about your life. If he was writing about you, would he write uh, of you like he did about Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, where he said, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own not the things which are Jesus Christ. One thing that could be said about Timothy, he, yeah, he was a weak vessel. He didn't like to get in front of people and speak. He was kind of a timid, shy fella. But one thing that Paul could say about him is this. He doesn't seek his own interests. He seeks the interests of his captain, Jesus Christ. This guy is a good soldier. Demas was not the case. I wonder what do you like? What are you like tonight? Are you like a Timothy? And you, you, are, you are just caught up with the Lord's interests in mind. You are seeking the interests of your captain, Jesus Christ. Is that you? Or are you like a Demas tonight? Where you're, that's kind of the last thing on your list. You're, you're, you're seeking this and you're pursuing this and this. Maybe none of them are wrong, sinful things, but it's not his pursuits. Are you like a Demas or are you like a Timothy? You know, a soldier of the eternal king cannot cast an affectionate eye upon the affairs that pertain to this temporal life. And where do you often find your thoughts? Because if, if you think about this, where do, you, where do I often find my thoughts? That is going to tell you what you are pursuing in your mind, in your life. Where do you often find your thoughts? In your financial success? Getting recognition, maybe popularity with your peers? Which isn't just teens, by the way. Adults can do that too. Um, promoting yourself, entertainment, just having a good time, just chilling out. That's what your pursuit is. If you find your thoughts entangled upon temporal desires of self, mark it down. You're not a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And as you sit here in LifeGate Bible Baptist Church on a Sunday night, if that's the case with you, God looks down and He is not happy with your performance as a soldier. Now, He loves you, his love for you has not changed, but he's disappointed. And I don't know about you, but I don't want my Heavenly Father to be disappointed with me. You know, in order for you to truly please Him, you must be a good soldier of Christ. And this means you must endure hardness, recognize that He will enable you and empathize with you. You must also evade hindrance, dealing with every sin and casting away any temporal interests that are entangling you. 
There might be some hard decisions that come with that, but that's what needs to happen. God wants you to please him. He doesn't uh, he, he calls on you to commit yourself as a good soldier whom he can use. You know, a passage that has been really helpful to me is in Matthew chapter 14. Remember when Jesus feeds the 5,000? Do you remember that? And the two things that Jesus says to his disciples. He says two things to them about the needs of the people that are there. The disciples were frustrated with the people. He wanted them to go away. Jesus said, they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. One of the problems we have in our culture is this. We feel like the world owes us a living. The whole idea of being a giver, an asset, instead of a liability, is kind of foreign. We have a man, I'm down in Arklow, and all, all kinds of things, the gypsum factory, the fertilizer plant, the fishing industry, it's all trashed. There's no work. It's bad news down there. And you know what I'm finding? In the small town, even down there, and I'm sure it's similar up here, we've got a whole generation of young men, and this is their aspiration in life. Hit the age of 18 or whatever, sign on to the dole, and just coast through life. Now, that's sad. That's a very sad commentary. And you know what? We are affected because of we, li- we, we do live in a socialistic, welfare, entitlement culture. Let's face it, that's what we live in. Okay? And because of that, we have been trained to think this way. You know, the world owes me a living. You know, the American president actually was assassinated with Irish roots, John F. Kennedy. He was famous for this saying, don't ask what your country can give to you, ask what you can do for your country. Okay? And that's, that's, that's a very good way of thinking. You know, we have this idea, boy, you know what? Uh, I'm entitled to this, or I'm entitled to that. What is this person going to do for me? What can I get out of life? Instead of thinking like a good soldier would think, boy, you know what? How can I be an effective soldier? How can I be an asset? In the Lord's army. You know, just practically, how can I be an asset to other people? Instead of being like a leech that sucks the life out of everybody, how can I be someone that is going to be an asset or a benefit to my family, to my society, to, uh, to the Lord's army? This is really what we're after. You know, and then the second thing that the Lord told them to do in that passage that deals with the feeding of the 5,000, he said, they need to not depart, give ye them to eat. He's saying, in other words, to the disciples, listen, guys, you're the ones that I'm counting on to meet the need of of the multitude. And you know what, folks here at LifeGate Bible Baptist Church, you are the ones who he is counting on to meet the spiritual needs of the people out there. You're the ones he's counting on. Don't look to the right or the left or behind you. You're the the ones he's looking to. Then he says this. When the disciples say, we only have five loaves and two fish, he said, bring them hither to me. He's saying this, I know you don't have much, but what you are and what you have, I want you to give to me. I want to ask you a question tonight. Does he have you? Does he have what you have? Is there any part of your life that you don't want him to have? Any part of your life that you're not willing for him to take and use. Any part of your life that you feel like is yours and he's not going to touch it. Folks, if that's the case, he cannot use you to meet the needs. 
The key to accessing God's grace, God's strength, the key to finding His will for your life and being useful in His army is simple. It's surrender and then faith, trusting Him. That's what it is. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for not only commanding us to be good soldiers, but for showing us how to. And Lord, dealing with the areas that hinder us from being good soldiers in your army. Lord, I pray that you just remove the blinders off of our eyes. Lord, the uh, tendency to be entangled in the secular, temporal affairs we see going on around us. And not being caught up with your eternal cause, that which really counts and is going to last. Lord, would you do that work on our hearts this evening, we pray. And our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. How many of you would say tonight, just simply by the uplifted hand, you'd say, you know what? God has dealt with me in a specific area. Uh, maybe it's an area of sin. Maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's an area of secular interest that, that has been capturing your affection and your interests and has been hindering you in your work as a soldier. Folks, listen. It, it happens to us. Maybe God in his grace tonight has, has pointed his finger in an area of your heart where that is happening. And he's done that because he wants to use you. Now, that's not something to be ashamed of. That's something to be excited about that he has worked in your heart that way. And if that's you, you know, it is helpful just to acknowledge that before the Lord. How many of you would say simply by the uplifted hand, yes, God has put his finger on an area in my life. He has. That's me. God has put his finger on an area in my life. Praise God. Amen. You can, you can put those hands down. Anybody else? Yeah, God's put his finger on an area in my life. I've I got to admit, I've been entangled. Okay. Praise God. Amen. Now, uh, we didn't specifically deal with this tonight, maybe a bit at the beginning, but how many of you, uh, would there be anyone in this room who would say, you know what, I, I'm not even sure if I'm a soldier in his army. I would like to think that I am, but I don't know for sure. I don't know if heaven is my home. Um, I don't know if I'm not 100% sure that I am a member of the Lord's army or a member of his family. I'm, I don't know. If that's you and you would like to know, I'm not going to embarrass you, won't point you out, but I will pray for you if you just simply raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I'm not sure, but I would like to be. Lord, thank you for working in hearts. Spirit of God, I pray you just bless during this time of invitation that there would be full obedience to you. And Lord, that um, even as we leave this evening, that we would make marked steps taking responsibility for our own spiritual life and making marked steps of obedience to you. Uh, marching in step with your orders, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll go ahead and stand. And uh, we'll just have uh, an invitation here. For the first little bit, though, let's just go ahead and have the piano play. And let's go ahead and just keep heads bowed and eyes closed. If God has, and you can go ahead and stand, if God has put his finger on an area of your life and you'd like to do business with him tonight, I encourage you to do that and give the opportunity for you to do that. So as the pianist plays a hymn of invitation, if you'll just come, you can even just make this uh, platform an altar if you can do that without any pain or just do business with God in your own seat. But just 
Uh, do what God would have you to do as the pianist begins to play. <laughs> 